Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy 21, in continuation of this uh, discourse of Moses to the next generation, he says this in verse 1, If anyone is found slain, lying in the field, in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess, and it is not known, not known who killed him, so a dead body is found on the ground. Then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance from the slain man to the surrounding cities. Now, remember here in chapter 16, remember our study in chapter 16 about the elders? No corruption. No corruption in the elders, in the judges. It's not just warm bodies serving in these positions. It's not just warm bodies for a specific task. It is specific people for a specific task, specific hearts, specific minds for a specific task. It's very important to understand these things because as we get further in in the uh, 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 in our studies through the Old Testament, you're going to see people who are elders, people who are judges, people who are priests, and they make excuses oh i'm the priest so therefore or or i'm the elder so therefore you got to do this or i'm the uh, 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 the judge so therefore you have to do this and if the formula is not right inside of them if they're just warm bodies in that position you're going to see the mess that ensues but the opposite is true when the formula is right all of a sudden these are people who are biblically qualified to when I say biblically qualified is because the formula is right inside of them. It's not just the warm bodies. You can have the warm bodies, but it's the wrong formula. But when you have the the, the hearts and the minds, which, which are uh, uh, in obedience to the Lord, they're going to make these determinations and these assessments and these intercessions when the formula is right. And then there's another aspect to this. Now it's the people who have to respond. See, say for example, you and me, we go back in the time machine. You and me, we get in the time machine. We go into whatever area and we have a a certain situation has arisen. And then all of a sudden, we it's handled in a manner that that honors the Lord in accordance with the law. Remember, we go into the time machine, so we're under the law. I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form, but just giving this example of how things would play out. Now, you and me, we have this situation. Maybe it's a dead body. We don't know how it got there. Now, we have this situation. Now, all of a sudden, we go to the elders, okay? What do we do? We go to the elders and the judges, We have a situation. Now, when the formula is right with them, maybe it's not a dead body as is written here. Maybe it's just another matter. Maybe it's a disagreement between you and me. We go back in time so we're under the law. We go to the elders to solve this dispute between you and me. Now, the elder gives counsel. The elder hears us and gives us counsel. Now, when the formula is right... When the formula is right. Now, this person is biblically qualified to give counsel. But when that counsel is given, the other aspect is you and me. What is the condition of our heart? Because we seek the counsel. And when the formula is right in the elder, he gives the counsel. 
But then now it comes back to you and me. Now we have to respond to that. And do we respond in a manner that honors the Lord? Or do we respond in a manner that doesn't honor the Lord? It's the same exact thing as New Covenant believers. People seek counsel from a pastor. But when when the formula is wrong in the pastor, don't expect godly counsel. Do not heed that counsel. You know, oh, pastor, I'm an alcoholic. Help me. What do I do with my alcohol addiction? And what if the pastor himself is compromised because of his own alcohol addiction? The formula is wrong. Do not heed that counsel. You see? It's very important to understand these things because we get ourselves in heaps of trouble. And just as in Israel in the Old Testament, you see, we're going to see Israel get in heaps of trouble. Heaps and heaps of trouble. We're going to see it. But then because we have this backdrop of the Old Testament, the Torah, we're going to understand why God responds the way he does. We're going to understand exactly why the Lord responds in the manner in which he responds. It's because somewhere along the way, whether it be in the hearts of the people, whether it be in the hearts of the elders, whether it be in the hearts of the the, the priests, whether it be in the hearts of the judges, whether it be in the hearts of the high priests, or the, the Kohanim or the Levites, If the formula is wrong, you're going to see the heaps of trouble. All kinds of mess when the formula is wrong. But the opposite is true. When the formula is right, you're going to see the most beautiful, beautiful things. It's rare, but you'll see it. Mostly, instead of a people, you'll see it in a family. And you mostly see it with individuals. Just like today. Just like today. It's nothing new under the sun. And so we see this aspect of what the Bible teaches. So, you know, that uh, someone's found slain in the field. Nobody knows who gets not known who killed them. You just see a dead body here. Now, it could be maybe the guy... Passed out, maybe an animal stepped on him and so he's got like a a wound and there was nobody nearby and he's dead or maybe he was murdered. You see, we just don't know. It is unknown. And so we see here in verse 2, Then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance from the slain man to the surrounding cities. Where is the nearest city? In verse 3, And it shall be that the elders of the city nearest to the slain man will take a heifer which is not which has not been worked and which is not pulled with a yoke. So this is a heifer that has specifically been raised for this purpose of atonement. Never been worked. Never been worked, never pulled the yoke. The purpose for this heifer is to atone. You see? And it's not that the elders of the nearest city say, well, you know, uh, we don't know. We, nobody in our, our gates killed the guy. We don't know what happened. So therefore, you're not going to use one of our heifers. No, this is rules for the whole camp, the nearest city. And it says in verse 4, the elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to a valley with flowing water. A valley with flowing water, not a pond, not a lake, not a little puddle. A land, a a, a valley with flowing water. 
which is neither plowed nor sown. I love this so much. So you have the, the heifer, never been worked. And then you have the, uh, 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 the valley with flowing water, which has never been plowed or sown. These are pieces of land and animals that the sole purpose is for atonement. And they shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. They have a specific purpose to atone. Remember, the dead body has been found. And it's not to say like, okay, here's rules for the investigation. You know, get your get your uh, police tape and cordon off this area. No trespassing. And we're going to get the investigators in, the detectives. and do. We're going to find out who's done it. That's, that's one matter entirely. But then there's a, a separate matter. There's a separate matter. To be clean before the Lord. And not just the hearts of people, but the land. For the land to be clean. You don't know why this land... Remember, say it's you and me. We get in our time machine and we go into this area and we find, whoa, there's a dead body here. It could be that that body, you know, there was murder involved. It could be nefarious. It could be innocent. I say innocent, but maybe you got, you know, an animal stepped on his foot. He couldn't walk. And then the other animal stepped on his head and, you know, he's dead. We don't know what happened. But then there's still the subject matter of cleanliness. Cleanliness on the land. Atonement for the land. Because we want the land to be blessed of the Lord. You see? And when I say blessed of the Lord, it's not like, you know, humans receiving blessings. But, you know, we're going to go onto this land and we're going to work it. We're going to plow and grow our crops. And, I, you know, we, you and me, we get in a time machine. We want blessings of the Lord. We want, you know, a good crop so we can honor the Lord. We can feed our families, feed our flocks, and, you know, have all these provisions for those with us. And we want to honor the Lord. And, you know, to start it out with bad blood, you know, we don't know how the guy died, but to start it out like that, that's not a good place to start. We want everything to be beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because we want our lives to be sweet aromas to him. You see, remember the challenge that we posed to you when we started our study in Leviticus? To start thinking of your lives as an aroma to the Lord. Everything about your life. You wake up in the morning, whatever you're, you know, you're, whatever you do in the morning, you know, let it be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. In conversation, sweet aroma. In prayer, sweet aroma. In studying the Bible, sweet aroma. You go check your mail, sweet aroma. Communication with your neighbors, talking with your neighbors, sweet aroma. Talking with those in your own home, sweet aroma unto the Lord. It's a different mindset. Is it, a, it is a mindset that is not of the world. Not religion. It's not just, you know, living our lives in, in, in for sake of religion. It's living our lives sacrificially, desiring to honor the Lord. Now, I can't impose you to desire anything. But we can study the Bible together. 
We can fall in love with the Lord deeper and deeper and deeper together. Falling in love with the Lord deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. The investigation of the dead body. There's a dead guy on the field. The investigation, that's one matter. But there's an entirely different one. Now you see in verse uh, verse 2, then your elders and your judges, but then we get to verse 5, and activate the priests, activate the priest, then the priest, the sons of Levi, shall come near. For the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord. By their word, every controversy and every assault shall be settled or every, like a strike or a blow. Uh, by their word, every controversy and every assault shall be settled. It's very important to understand there's no corruption. No corruption. Well, that's what the law says. The, in the law, statutes in the law, that there be nothing corrupt in Israel, but then there be nothing corrupt in in tribes, but then nothing be corrupt within elders, no corruption within the judges, no correct uh, corruption within the, uh, the, 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 Levitic, the, the the Levites, no corruption within the Kohanim. Now, there's a lot of segments there. No corruption within one, no corruption within two, no corruption within three, no corruption within four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and all these different, and you know, with, and then within the, the, the entirety of the camp of Israel, you got husband, wife, kids, and you see, all these different vessels or pots, so to speak, where the vessel, the, the, the formula must be right. It's beautiful. When you see the Torah, when you see the law, when we study these passages in this regard as individuals, as vessels, but within those vessels, the formula must be right. When you're making a nice, beautiful dinner, you're making a nice, beautiful meal, like a, 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 a whatever course meal, multiple courses, and you have like all these different burning plates you know you have like a stove top that has maybe four four burners or maybe has uh, six burners or maybe has 10 burners or maybe you have four burners and then you have to have these a separate fire pit to have all these different pots hanging and within the pots you have you know meat you have potatoes you have vegetables you have dessert you have all kinds of different things but within each individual vessel the formula must be right the same thing applies to the camp of Israel and the same thing applies to the camp of these of, 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 of the church. Same. Formula's right in, you know, in a family. Formula's right in a church. And then individually speaking, formula's right within the ministry team, the ministry leaders, the elders, the pastors. The formula is beautiful. And when you have that, like the, the stars have aligned. And it's glorious. And then you see here there's safety in verse 5. By their word, every controversy and every salt shall be settled. That's a heavy responsibility. 
So just like the example we gave before, you and me, we have a beef. We go back in time. We have a beef in accordance to the law. We go to the elder. We go to the priest or, you know, the elders. You know, we go to the elders and then, you know, they, they seek out the priest. But, you know, but we do exactly that. The priest, the, the, the elder says, okay, we're going to contact the priest. The priest comes and says, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And not just this is what we're going to do, but now I'm going to bless you. When the formula is right in each individual pot, each individual vessel, when the formula is right, it is so beautiful. It is so lovely. But then when the formula is wrong, say you and me, unsuspecting, unsuspecting. I mean, we have the beef. We, 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 we go back in time. We're under the law. We find a, a dead guy in the field. We don't know how it happened. But what if what if the elder killed him there? What if the elder committed murder there? And then all of a sudden he goes and, you know, in accordance to, you know, what we're studying now. And, you know, he gives the appearance that everything's kosher with him. Everything is good to go with him. And unbeknownst to us, because we can't see the heart, we can't see the mind. Things aren't okay with him. The formula is wrong in him. Now the formula is right within us. But then say, for example, I mean, we want our 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 land because we're gonna grow we're gonna grow veggies there we're gonna go veg vegetables we're gonna feed our flocks from this from uh, from the field from the work of our hands or the sweat our labor. But then now there's this little. What if the priest and the elders were in cahoots? The priests and the elders were in cahoots. Now, all of a sudden, the priest comes and says, well, you know, we can't bless this land. Uh, so, you know, why don't you guys go over there? And unbeknownst to us, I mean, we're just, we, we obey what they say because, I mean, we're following what the Lord wants for us. We obey what they say. We go into this region. But then, meanwhile, the priest and the elder who were in cahoots, all of a sudden, they buy the, they use the land for themselves. They want to pull profit, turn it into a business, you know, pull profit. So we, we got there because we were, you know, we inherited it. But, you know, they want to, they don't want us to have it so, you know, they can pull profit from it. You see, corruption. Now, this is just an example. But an example of the formula, how the formula must be right. And not just in you and me, but all down the line. The formula must be right in the judges and the elders and the priests and the Levites and the Kohanim. And then also in the tribes, the captains, the people, the fighters, the warriors. The formula must be right in the camp of Israel. That's when the Lord is honored. And you're going to see when that, when that formula is right across the board, you're going to see Israel in a state of victory. When the formula is wrong, you're going to see Israel suffer loss. The same exact thing applies to the church. When the formula is right in a church, you're going to see such beauty. You're going to see uh, like uh, uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia in when you read uh, 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 Revelation 2 and 3. You're going to see such exquisite beauty, but out of seven churches, two are the only ones who are told not to repent. Everybody else is told to repent. You see? Because in two out of five, the formula, or two out of seven, the formula is right. Five out of seven, the majority, the formula is wrong.
You see? And so we see here. The priest, in verse 5, The sons of Levi shall come near, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord. Very interesting because you see that the, there's specific purpose of these lands where in, in, in verse 4, that the valley with flowing water, specific function and purpose for the heifer. And now you have the specific fun- function of uh, 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 the priests. The Lord your God, in verse 5, has chosen them to minister to him. And to bless in the name of the Lord. And by their word, every controversy and every assault shall be settled. And all the elders of that near, of that city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. These are the elders now. So the priest comes, you know, everything has been handled in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord in obedience to what he says. Now the elders of that nearest city, they come and wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. Now we get into verse 7. Then they shall answer and say, quote, quote, Our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. Remember, someone died. There's a dead body in the field. It's, it's truly unknown. How it happened, why it happened, we don't know. The investigation, no investigation. Not to say that investigation cannot happen. But that's, at this juncture, it is irrelevant. The body has to be handled in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. And not just the body, but like the the, the land, the, the defiling of the land. And we don't want that. Remember, we're in our time machine. We go back in time. We, we want it to be blessed of the Lord. And not just it, us. We want to be blessed of the Lord. And so in verse 8, still in the quote, provide atonement, O Lord. This isn't the priest. This is the elders. You see? In verse 6, then all the elders. These, these, these are the elders. They shall answer and say, our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. Provide atonement, O Lord, for your people Israel, for whom, whom you have redeemed. And do not lay innocent blood to the charge of your people. End quote, end quote. You see, the intercession of the elders. It's not just to say, okay, we have the priests, let them do it. No, elders have a responsibility. You see, it's so beautiful. I'm, I'm in no way, shape or form am I advocating the law. But you read passages like this and you're like, wow, the Lord really, the Lord is really taking care of Israel. But then we're going to get into the passages in like the Chronicles and you're like, wow, it seems like the Lord's not taking care of Israel. It's not to say that the Lord changed. The people changed. But the same could be said today. You see these passages in the in the Gospels. You see these passages of, you know, what Paul writes and what Peter writes. Like, wow, the, the Lord really takes care of his people. The Lord really wants good things for his people. But then you look at the church today and you're like, oh my goodness. Like, I thought, I thought, I thought God was taking care of them and look or you look at a christian home and you're like oh i thought i thought god was blessing them but now look it's it's almost like a curse does that mean god is a liar now satan will say that because the bible says xyz and you look over here and you see one two three and there's a disconnect therefore the bible's fake therefore god is a liar no that's a lie from the pit of hell 
which comes from the father of lies, who was a murderer from the beginning, Satan, the devil, Beelzebub. See? The disconnect is not with the Lord. The disconnect is with the people. Old Testament and New Testament, they change their hearts. And so we see here in verse um, the, the intercession of the elders and in verse 8. Remember, God is reactionary. He responds. And so we see here at the end quote in verse 8. And atonement shall be provided on their behalf for the blood. You see? Put aside the investigation. Yes, there's a dead body. Yes, he died. Yes, we see the wound. Yes, but that's one matter. The other matter is for us to be right before the Lord, for the lands to be atoned for. Because we don't want any defilement of the land in our hearts, in our minds. Of the, we, we don't want it. We want to be fully, 100% fully honoring of the Lord and 100% fully blessed of the Lord. Now, sometimes 100% isn't achieved. When you achieve 100%, you'll be dead. But that doesn't mean you can't get, you know, 95%, 92%, 98%. But if you're straight up 2%, that's not good. You know, when you see the babies and, uh, you know, babies in Christ are beautiful. But then to stay a baby, you know, uh, to be young in Christ, I mean, like you became a believer last week or you became a believer right here, right now. I mean, based on what you know in the Bible, when you become a fresh believer, you're like, boom, at 100% because you're a fresh believer in Jesus Christ. But as soon as you take Breath number two, three, four, or five, the attacks are going to come. And because your knowledge base is so small, all of a sudden your obedience unto the Lord starts to go down because you don't have the understanding, you don't have the equipping. But when you study the word, you, you know, you come to, you're a brand new believer, you're a hundred percent. As soon as you take breath number three, all of a sudden it's like that and you realize it's a battle in the mind. And, you know, a baby, a fresh baby in Christ is so incredibly beautiful. But then obedience must be, is a choice. And obedience must be chosen. You, me, choosing to obey the Lord. And the problem comes when babies stay babies. You know, 100%, you come to Christ, you're at 100%. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, your friend calls and says, Oh, you know, let's, let's go, let's go get high tonight. Let's go get baked tonight. I got the finest weed from Chiapas, Mexico. And you say, okay, I'm going to go do that. All of a sudden, your 100% goes down to, you know, 72%. And then he says, oh, you know, we're just, let's go get drunk. We're going to, we're going to bring in the alcohol. And your 72% goes down to, you know, 63%. It just goes down, 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 down. And when we're at 100%, you know, it's like you're a fresh believer in Jesus Christ, 100%. But then breath number five. You know, you're like that 97% because you're, it's an attack. The attacks happen. And if you don't have the shield and you don't have the sword and just like the armor that we study and you don't apply those things, 
You're going to go down to 80%, 70%, 60%, 50%. And when Christians stay babies, like a, a baby believer is beautiful, but when a baby believe when a, a person is a baby for year, not day, year number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, then you're going to see the, the meters like at below 20%. You see, it's of very important to understand these passages. Yes, we're looking at the Old Testament, but at the same time, we have to understand this being right before the Lord. And when we're at 100%, I mean, you've been a Christian for a while, several years, several months, several days. When we're at 100%, you'll be dead. And a lot of times people like to say, well, you know, we all sin. So, you know, God is gracious. We all sin. Don't let that be an excuse. It is true that we all sin. It is true that, you know, we're saved by grace. Absolutely. It's, you know, I, I bask in the mercy and the love of God. But don't make excuses for the flesh. Well, I'll go do a little crack tonight. I'll go do a little sex tonight. I'll go do a little drugs tonight. No big deal. You know, God is gracious. Don't use our freedom in Christ as license to sin. No, we grow. We mature. We desire to be, you know, honoring to the Lord and unto the Lord for His glory. And the Lord responds to obedience. The Lord also responds to disobedience and he disciplines, he chastises those whom he loves. So, you know, it's just like a parent, you know. How are your grades, son? How are your grades, baby girl? Oh, I got an A. Oh, praise the Lord. Awesome. What was your percentage? 98%. Oh, praise the Lord. Awesome. Hey, baby girl, what are your grades? I got a 92%. I'm at, you know, I got an A. I'm at 92%. Wow, praise the Lord. Hey, son, how are your grades? I'm flunking, pops. What's your percentage? I'm at 30%. Okay, now you're grounded. You're not going to see your friends. You're going to hit the books. You see? And so kid starts to study more. All of a sudden, he's back up to straight A's. Maybe B's. Okay, where are you at? Okay, hey, Pops, I'm at 73%. Okay, you're still grounded. We don't want you at 73%. Because you're freshly out of 30%. You see? Same thing with our Lord. He disciplines those whom he loves. He chastises those, those whom he loves. It's beautiful. And so we continue... And we see here in verse, in verse nine. So you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. In the sight of the, his eyes are everywhere. A lot of people think they're alone, but they're not alone. His eyes are everywhere. When you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Remember, it's not just the external. 
It's not just the external where, where you and me, remember we go in our time machine, where you and me, we find a dead body and, you know, we don't know the guy and you know, it's sad that he's dead. We don't know. We see the wound and we just don't know what happened. It's like, okay, so let's move the bot or, you know, let's contact the elder. Let's, you know, do this. I'm doing my air quotes. Let's do this process. The priest comes. Okay, we wash our hands of it. Okay, now let's move the body and all this. Let's bury him and okay, we're good to go. That's like the external. It's true that we're following what the Bible teaches and it's true. But then there's a matter that's in the depths of our heart. There is a matter that is in the depths of our heart. It is that desire to honor the Lord. It is that strong desire to honor the Lord and to bless his holy name. And then the the, the the response of that from the Most High is blessings for us. It's, it's deeper than just performing what the law says. It's, it's a heart matter. Now, it can be a hand and feet matter. It can be a, a head matter. But where you see immense beauty is when it's in the heart, when it's a heart matter. And when I say that, that's what you see when you, when you see people in the Old Testament, such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Samuel, Hannah, Ruth. You see, there's something different about these people under the covering of the Old Covenant. But there's just something different about these people than the average bear. You see in the church. People go to church, they wake up in the morning, go to church on Sunday, you know, the Bible study uh, Wednesday, they, you know, they do this, they do that, and it's just okay, they, they're doing it. They're, they, they, but there's something different about certain people. Certain people like Eunice and Lois in the Bible, Mama and Grandma of little Timmy. There's something different about these Beautiful people. Philip. I don't know his prophetess daughters, but I bet you they were beautiful and fun to hang around with. Blessed of the Lord. And the Lord honored uh, Philip. Philip honors the Lord. The Lord honors him, blesses him. And now you have little prophetess, little girl, you know, daughters, prophetesses. Beautiful. It's powerful. It's, but it's a matter of the heart. It's always a matter of the heart. Where no hand can touch except that of the Lord. And so we see here in verse 10. When you go to war against your enemies and the Lord your God delivers them into your hand and you take them captive. Now, remember when what we studied in previous weeks through the, through the, uh, through Deuteronomy, you see there's the offering of peace made where the warriors of Israel go into a region. They say, okay, you know, we give you an offer of peace. We don't want to fight you, but you know, we offer you peace, but you know, you know, think about it. They come back and say, oh, we don't want peace with you guys. Okay, to war. But then, you know, the people come back and say, okay, we'll make peace. We don't want to fight. We don't want to fight you. Okay, there's a period of subjugation. There's subjugation involved. 
which I now I know that in today's mind it sounds terrible. Subjugation. It sounds like wow, you know, you have slave class, you have like a servant class, you have subjugation, the submission unto. It, it sounds like we live in a very uh, prideful cultures that we have in the world today. Oh, I'm not going to submit to this. No, look, the power of man, the power of woman and all this stuff. And that's pride. I, I, I speak in matters of the faith. There is subjugation involved. And in accordance to the law, I'm not advocating the law, but it's not so bad. Remember the example I gave? You know, we had this example that we gave not too long ago, several weeks ago, several months ago. Where you and me are, you know, we come from a poor family. We come from a poor family and then, you know, we, 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 we make a trade off where we enter into servanthood status in the, in the tent of a rich guy. From the outset with carnal eyes, you think like, man, you know, look, this rich guy has servants in his house, in his tent. But from the perspective of you and me, it's not a bad thing. In fact, when it's our time to be freed, when it's our time to be freed, all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know what? I love my family, but I love my master even better. In our time in servanthood, it wasn't like we were itching to get out. That became our home. You see? And this is all in accordance to the law. But the same thing happens with you and me. Placed in servanthood status under the covering of Jesus Christ. We fall in love with him. And then bond servanthood unto him. Yeah, we have our families, biological families. We have this, we have that. But wow, I love my master more. You see? And now we get into passages. I have to say, this comes with a little warning label in verse 11. It comes with a little warning label because what happens is, and much of it is centered around sexual, the sexual nature. Um, remember when it was asked of Jesus Christ about divorce, and then he gives a little indication, and in some cases, a big indication but indicating that these things were added because of hardness of heart, because of uncircumcision, the hardness of the heart. Now, to my sisters in Christ, these passages like this, I don't like. I mean, I like them because it's in the Word, but I don't like because it's abrasive. It's abrasive passages. And to my sisters in Christ, you're going to see this. You're going to understand this, but I feel it too. I just, but say, for example, we're in a fellowship of 2,000 people. There's 1,000 men, 1,000 females. And then it is said to the men, okay, any men who has problems with pornography and the strippers and the prostitutes, all of you men get out of here. And so they leave. There would be like three guys left. And I'm not making excuses for the flesh in any way, shape, or form. But to understand that 
these things of sexual nature were added because of the hardness of the hearts of men. I'm not making excuses for it, but I'm just giving an example. Now, in that church example, it's like, okay, so there's three guys. And you think like, okay, these three guys have, you know, they, they can choose just anybody. But no, these three guys, because they love the Lord and fear the Lord, they're like, you know what? I'm going to follow Paul's advice. You know, I'm going to serve the Lord. You might have one guy who says, okay, I'll take one for the team, but no. And I'm not making excuses in any way, shape, or form. I don't want you to think that I'm making excuses, but understand the church is in trouble. I mean, you don't need me to tell you that. The church today is in major, major, major trouble. But these things are prophesied to happen. And so we see in verse 11, verse 10, they, they go and take, capti take, take captives. And verse 11, and you see among the captives a beautiful woman and desire her and would take her for your wife. Then you shall bring her home to your house and she shall shave her head and trim her nails. And shall we're going to study this more when we get into the account of Samson. Little, little, uh, um, uh, to entice for future studies. We're, we're going to study this more when we get into the subject matter of Samson. And so it's going to be a while. We'll get there. But by the time we get there, you're going to stand, understand heaps more than what we understand now. And so we see here in verse 12, you shall bring her to home to your house and she, and she shall shave her head and trim her nails. She shall put off the clothes of her captivity. So the old clothes, I mean, probably torn and, you know, of, of people that are no longer hers because she's now captive. And so now she has different attire. And so she, it says in verse 13, that she remain in the house and mourn her father and her mother a full month. Because remember, she's just taken captive. It says, after that, you may go into her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. Now, we look at passages like this, and it's like, when we study these things, these are very abrasive, very, very abrasive to Christians, saints. But remember, this is Israel according to the flesh, flesh, flesh. And these things, according to the flesh, were added because of the hardness of hearts. That's why. When the, when Jesus was asked and they tried to trap him, well, you know, Moses permitted divorce, so, you know, what, what, what do we do? And what does Jesus do? He looks even, he looks pre-law. He looks before the law. You see? He looks to the very beginning of the promise. I meant, what about Noah? How many wives did Noah have? You see? How many wives did Adam have? Not multiple, one. You see? It's so powerful because when you see that Jesus, when asked about this question, you know, he points before the law. It wasn't always the case. It wasn't so from the beginning. You see? 
But then you see these provisions in the law. It's like, wait a second. How can this be? It's okay. You see a lady, you know, she's pretty. You want her for a wife. Okay. You know, that. that's what it, verse 11. You see a captive, a beautiful woman, and you desire her. And then all of a sudden, now you're going to see passages in scripture where it's like, okay, there's war campaign number one, campaign number two. Then you see like, okay, wife number one, wife number two, wife number three. It's, it, it, it becomes a huge mess. I mean, in the case of Solomon, the builder of the temple, in the case of Solomon, what happened to him? Yes, he had, he, he, he was wise before the Lord, but in the course of time, you see that falter. Why? Because all of a sudden, instead of honoring the Lord, he wanted, he started to honor the gods of his wives and concubines. And these were other peoples. So in the case of Solomon, you know, he had a wife and he had wife number two, three, four. He had a lot of wives and a lot of concubines. And then all of a sudden he started to honor instead of the Lord, his God, he started to honor the gods of his wives and concubines. That's what started. And you see the result of that. Where Israel becomes, in the course of time, Israel becomes defiled. That's what you see. So a lot of men, they see passages like this and they're like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Look, you know, look, the beautiful lady, you get to marry her, all these things. And this is where it gets dangerous in the Hebrew Roots Movement. Because the Hebrew Roots Movement, not so much the pews, but more the pulpits and the Hebrew Roots. If you're in the Hebrew Roots Movement, get out. Hit the eject button. Very dangerous. No safety because it's outside of Christ. It's the law. If righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. There is no righteousness through the law. Listen to our study through Galatians. You'll understand more. But this is where, you know, the Hebrew Roots Movement, the teachers, the so-called pastors, they'll start to teach these things about Numbers and Leviticus and They'll shy away from passages like this if you're new in the fellowship. They'll shy away from passages like this. And so all of a sudden, a person will be seduced from Jesus Christ into the law. And a person, you know, a, a teacher in the Hebrew roots will, you know, teach about, you know, the, the commandments and honoring the Sabbath, honoring the Lord through the Sabbath and all these different things. And then all of a sudden, it just hits you like a ton of bricks. All of a sudden, the teacher will start start explaining these things. Why? Their own carnal perversions. Well, you see a beautiful woman over here? Go ahead, take her. Or a guy is done with his wife? Okay, go ahead, get a divorce. Or you start to see like multiple wives? That's what you see. Because in accordance to the law, it is written. It's a trap. If you're in the Hebrew Roots Movement, hit the eject button. I love you, but hit the eject button. Jump ship. That is a sinking ship. There is no salvation in the law. The law points to Christ. You see? Even when the, uh, the religious leaders, they tried to trap Jesus... He didn't cite the law. I mean, some passages he cited the law, but on the subject matter of, you know, divorce and the sexual stuff, he's, he went before the law.
And so we see this in verse 14. And it shall be, if you have no delight in her, then you shall set her free. But you you certainly shall not sell her for money. You certainly shall not sell her for money. Now this, it kills me. Now if, to my sisters in Christ, I don't, these passages are so abrasive to my heart. I just don't like it. So look, look, you have the guy. The guys, they go to war. You know, a guy sees, you know, a pretty lady does this in accordance to the law, follows these things in the law and says, okay, you're going to marry her, you know, do the sex and all these things. And then all of a sudden, verse 14, now you have no delight in her. You see, now she's free to go. It's like he's, he's done with her. But that's just one. What if there was female number two, number three, number four? You see, in the case of Solomon, hundreds. And in the case of Solomon, it didn't end well. Not just for him, but it didn't end well for Israel. Because now you have these temples to other gods. Because the gods of these women were honored instead of the God of Israel. So when we see passages like this, you know, a lot of guys, they see like, wow, you know, look, this is cool. This is awesome. That's carnal thinking. There's a price to pay. There's absolutely a price to pay. And these are things that we'll see in the camp of Israel. We will see. And so, to my sisters, you know, these are abrasive to the heart. I fully understand. But there's a cost that comes out of this. And it hurts the camp of Israel. To my brothers in Christ, if you read this and you're like, wow, this is awesome. Look, pretty girl, you get to marry her. You need another pretty girl, you get to marry her. Another pretty girl, you get to marry her. That's carnal thinking. And even that comes at a cost. That mindset comes at a cost. Because all of a sudden it alters the mind which should be given over to the Lord. And it is entirely possible to defile the temple. And I speak of the body. We are new covenant believers. I speak of the body. It can be defiled by the things which enter our minds. Protect your heart. Protect your minds. Understand Old Testament. Observe Israel according to the flesh. Flesh, 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 flesh. According to the carnal nature. Carnal nature. And these things were added. Not because they were like, you know, a beautiful thing. These things were added Because of the hardness of hearts. You see? The Lord knows what he's dealing with. The Lord knows. He knows the heart of man. He knows the heart of woman. He knows. Young, old. He also knows the heart that is given over to him. And he uses those people. You see? And it's so powerful when we understand the Old Testament... As new covenant believers, our hearts deeply, deeply, deeply inside of Christ. 
as we choose to abide in Christ. Because when you read scripture in that manner, you'll see a whole new ball game. It was always there, but because of the carnal nature, they're made blind. They're made uh, people become blind because they don't have eyes to see nor ears to understand these things. It's not the, in, in verse 14, well, you know, no, a guy no longer has delight in her. He says, then you shall set her free, but you certainly shall not sell her for money. You shall not treat her brutally. And this translates to be treated brutally, but as merchandise. Because you have humbled her. You see? Not to treat her brutally like merchandise. It's, it's almost like a prostitute. You know? Guy's done, you know, here's your money, get out of here. I, I hate saying that. I don't like saying that. It, it, it. But so that we can understand. Not making provisions for the flesh, but so that we can understand. But I look at you and me in Christ. For me personally, in the camp of Satan 20 plus years ago, 25 years ago in the camp of Satan. You see? Taken captive under Christ, the, 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 the ultimate master. Taken captive under Christ. And then under Christ, I learned a new Concept, entirely new concept about what home is. And like that's it. That's 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 where I choose to be, that's where I want to be with Christ, my master. And as a member of the body of Christ. Remember, there's no where there's no male nor female. Also a part of the bride of Christ. Female. You see? Spiritually speaking, all of a sudden it turns female, bride of Christ. This is supernatural. The carnal mind cannot even comprehend these things. This is supernatural. It's spiritual. But we must understand these things in order to have this deeper understanding and in order to fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with our Master, capital M. His name is Jesus Christ. It's not just to read these passages like in according to the flesh, in accordance to the flesh, because the Hebrew roots teachers, they read these passages according to the flesh. And so people who desire to be Honoring of the Lord in obedience to the Lord, they say, Well, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go ahead and, you know, share my wife. Disgusting things, but yet it is happening. You see? Oh, look, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for you and bless you in your third marriage. And, you know, you're actively married to wife number one. You're actively married to wife number two. You're actively married to wife number three. Polygamy. God's not there. Not the God of the Bible. A 
another Christ would permit such a thing, but not the real Christ, not the one whose word is above his name. You see, can you see my beautiful brother? Can you see my beautiful sister whom I love? Sometimes people say, oh, I don't like how you talk like this. I don't like how you talk against this. I don't like how you talk against that. There's a reason behind it. Because such things are dangerous. Straight up dangerous. Maybe not in this life. You might, you know, laugh over here. You might laugh over there. But then you'll also hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You see? A fake Christ that the Lord says will be vast in the last days. A fake Christ will... Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. You want to have wife number one, two, three, four, five? Actively at the same time, polygamy, go for it. Look, the, the Deuteronomy says. Go for it. You want to have your concubines? Go for it. Another Christ would advocate such a thing, but not the real. Not the real. You see? Not in accordance to the law. In, in accordance to the promise. Passages like this, I, I just, I don't like them. I, I, I'll be straight with you. I, I, I just don't like them. I, no disrespect to the Lord. I, I love them that they're there because I mean, it, it's the word of the Lord. But I just, and I, uh, even understanding the covenants and even understanding the, the spiritual aspect of, you know, our, 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 our oneness in Christ that I, I love and I adore and I cherish and I worship and I praise, but yet I read this and it's like, ugh. I don't like it. But I understand that it's in accordance to the flesh. Things which you nor I walk by. It's in accordance to the flesh. And there's a heavy price to pay when this gets out of hand, such as the case in Solomon and Israel as a result of Solomon's choices. You see? Now you see here in verse 15, if a man has two wives, here we go, two wives. So now it opens the door. Okay, I can have two wives, three, four, five, six, and then, okay, I'm done with these guys, and, you know, go ahead, get a divorce over here. I'm done with her. Now I go to war. I see her. She's pretty cute. I want her for a wife. I'll take her, and I'll take her. I'll take her. I'll take her. I don't want her for a wife, but I'll take her for a concubine. Oh, this wife, you know, she's getting kind of old, little wrinkly, little hippie on the sides. So in our next go to war, I'll just choose her and her and her. And I don't want them for wives, but I'll just use them as concubines. No big deal. It's a huge deal. But it's the flesh. Observe Israel according to the flesh, 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 flesh. I can't stress that enough. Flesh, flesh, flesh. That is a path that you nor me that we walk in. That's the flesh. Verse 15, if a man has two wives, remember, the hardness of heart. 
That's the flesh. If you walk according to the flesh, your heart is going to get harder and harder and harder and harder. And remember, we want it to be jello. We want it to be the softest of softest jello. You walk according to the flesh, your heart is jello. You walk according to the flesh, it's going to turn balsa. It's going to turn maple. It's going to turn oak. It's going to turn pine. And then you still walk according to the flesh, it's going to turn rock. And that's where we get into Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 6. The re-crucification of Jesus Christ. Those who have partaken of the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, it is impossible to restore such a one. That's dangerous ground to be on. But people like to make these excuses for the flesh. Oh, we're all sinners. We all sin. So yeah, I'm going to go get baked tonight. We all sin. I'm going to go get drunk tonight. We all sin. So I'm going to go do my sex tonight. We all sin. So I'm going to go worship Buddha tonight. See? It's true that we sin. But as we grow, as we mature... We can sin less and less and less and less and less. And in so doing, we learn, learn, learn to walk according, not to the flesh, but to the spirit. You see? And we walk according to the spirit. Our heart stays jello. Stays jello. And so we continue here in verse 15. If a man has two wives... One loved and the other unloved. I don't like these passages. These passages hurt me. I love the Lord. I love that these passages are here. But these passages, they hurt my heart. Because I know wives who have been kicked to the curb. My sisters in Christ Divorced. Husband finds another gal. Then divorce number two. Husband finds gal number three. Then husband finds is done with marriage and finds girlfriend number one, two, three. Because it's, 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 it's not marriage. Therefore, these things are permissible. I don't like these passages. But we have to study them so that we can understand the beauty, beauty, beauty of the promise, not the law. The promise. Remember Galatians? The law was added because of trespass, because of sin. The law is the additive. You see? If the law wasn't there, what would be said of the promise? With a people that do not have a means for atonement. What could be said of you and me? With a people that before us had no atonement for sin. No atonement for the carnal nature. The law was added because of sin. And when you understand the scriptures in this manner. It becomes crystal clear. The law of faith in accordance to the promise. Abiding in the law's fulfillment. The real 
Jesus Christ. So you have two wives here in verse 15. One is loved and the other unloved, which men, men, if you have a mindset that you don't like your wife anymore because she's let herself go, you you know, the quote unquote, let herself go. I know pastors who teach their congregation. Men have problems with pornography because wives let themselves go. Sick, disgusting men who call themselves pastors. And then they burden the wives. Okay, wives, you see, now you got to go to the gym. You got to work out. You got to diet. You got to wear your makeup. You got to wear your fake eyelashes. You got to dress like this. You got to perform like this. You got to do this, do that, do this, and do that. You can bring your husband to Christ through. And then they mention sexual things. Pastors. So-called pastors. They're not pastors. They're wolves. They look like men. They're not men. They're little boys. Men. I speak to men. I don't speak to boys in saying this. Men. Do not. Do not impose these things on the wife of your youth. I love passages that we see in Malachi. The wife of your youth. The wife of your youth. You get married at age 22. And then you're 65 years old. 70 years old. Number one, you don't look like you did when you were 22. But your covenant is with the wife of your youth. And it's to the Lord. The wife of of your youth. A lot of wives become devalued in the course of time because they don't look the same. They don't wear the makeup. They don't do... Me personally, I hate makeup. I cannot stand makeup. I hate it with the passion. It's like a lie, you know? It's like, you know, let's see what you look like, you know, in real life. You know, let me see this. Let me see that. I mean, you know, Makeup stuff. I'm not. <laughs> I don't like it. Let's. You know, I want to see you, and this is what I'm going to see, and that's, you know, that's how it's going to be. I don't want fake this, fake that. It's like, I hate makeup. But that's me. A lot of guys, they love the makeup. A lot of guys, they get deceived by the makeup. Not something. I'm not talking about application and how it's applied. You know, that's another issue. A lot of guys get deceived. You know, a lady will dress like this and put on this and put on that. And the shape is like this. When in reality, the shape isn't like that. And men, before you get married, before, before, not after. Once you're married, it's a done deal. That's it. It's done. But before you get married... You have to understand these things of the scriptures, what the Bible teaches. It's very, very important to understand. Because you get married, you're going to have babies, and you honor the Lord with the babies. The marriage bed is pure. Everything is beautiful. The next generation of righteousness. But you don't follow what the Bible teaches. All of a sudden, everything just mess all around. 
mess all around. The formula's not right in you. The formula's not right in her. The formula's not right in the kids. And all, everything's a mess. Then you go to a church and the church becomes leaven because of you and all these things. And just give an example. I'm not saying you, but I'm just, just an example. But if you're like, you know, about to get married or, you know, you're engaged, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Listen to our studies. Read the scriptures. And it could be that you, <laughs> you might call it off. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. I'm sorry. But you might call it off. I mean, the disciples themselves, when they were talking with Jesus, you know, one of the disciples, it's, it's, it sounds like it's better not to get married. But Jesus says, ah, that not, that's not for everybody. Not everybody can accept that. When you understand the covenants, and when you understand the fulfillment of the law and you abide in him and you look beyond the law and you look back further to the promise, all of a sudden you see a different kind of beauty. Even in the law, because the law is the additive, which as a result of sin, which yes, isn't a good thing. But what's beauty beautiful about that is that Included in the additive is atonement. Atonement, you see. And so the, the lineage can continue until the seed. Remember our study through Galatians, until the seed. Now that the seed is here, it's a different ballgame, a new covenant. People say, oh, you know, I, like we just studied spiritual warfare on Sunday. It just so happens, but... You look at passages about spiritual war, about warfare. You know, let's set aside flesh and spirit. And people like that. And, oh yeah, warfare. So warfare. And look, I'm in such a battle. And look, I want to study these things about warfare. But you, if you look at warfare from a carnal perspective, that's not good. That's dangerous. I mean, you could look at passages about warfare in Deuteronomy and be like, wow, you know, this is awesome and this is so cool and I want to do this. I want to go to war and I want to fight and I want to beat up these people and I want to do this and that, but that's the flesh. That's the flesh. And the law was added because of sin. You see? And then all of a sudden things start to become clear. To put down the weapons and pick up a different set of weapons according to the covenant. See? Different rules of engagement. And so passages like this, they become understandable that they were added because of the hardness of heart. And in the hardness of heart, you see a whole lot of sin, just like you see in the church today. When there's hardness of heart, like, you know, we need hearts to be nice, beautiful jello, but where you see balsa wood, that's a result of sin. Where you see maple, that's a result of sin. Where you see oak, sin. Where you see pine, sin. Where you see stone, sin. We don't want that. We want jello. 
beautiful, beautiful jello. That's what we want. That's like the whew, hearts that are like jello. So to my sisters in Christ, we look at these passages and they're very, very abrasive. But we have to understand all of these things, the covenants, the promise, the fulfillment, Christ, our Lord, in whom we abide. And when you understand that, it's not to say that these things like, oh, okay, no big deal. These are a big deal. But it becomes crystal clear. So we see in verse 15, if a man has two wives, one loved and the other unloved, and they have borne him children, both the loved and the unloved. And if the firstborn, remember the firstborn has greater inheritance. And if the firstborn son is of her who is unloved, then it shall be on the day he bequeaths his possessions to his sons that he must not bestow firstborn status on the son of the loved wife in preference to the son of the unloved, the true firstborn. So even in the law, in this particular ruling, in this particular statute, which is a result of sin because it was added because of the hardness of hearts. And remember, the law is the additive. But even in this particular statute, is a means by which through inheritance obedience can be restored in a manner that where the promise shines even greater than the law. You see? But it requires eyes to see and ears to hear. Required. If you read the Bible as literature, like you go to like a seminary and you read the Bible, you know, they study the Bible as lit- some seminaries, you know, very, I'm not an advocate of seminaries. I call them cemeteries, especially as we get further in the last days, deeper and deeper into the events of the last days. Remember, the Antichrist spirit is going to kill Christians. The, 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 the Antichrist will kill Christians, but the Antichrist spirit is in line with that. But precursory to killing Christians is the killing Jews. And these are things that are amping up in Jerusalem, things that are amping up in Israel today, this sentiment in certain factions that are centered around evil. But we're already seeing this happen today. We're seeing it happen. Understand the times. Very, very dangerous days, perilous times, as the Bible teaches. But even in this passages, in, in verse 16, the true firstborn, you see? Let's forget the fact that there's two wives and you love this one and you don't like this one and this one is unloved. Yeah, she's your wife, but she's unloved and you got this other wife. What if there were three or four wives or five wives or 10 wives or 30 wives? I'm not making excuse for the flesh, nor am I making excuse for the wives, but we understand the covenants. We understand why it was added. But even in that, who is the firstborn? 
Where does the inheritance go? Who has the greater inheritance? You see, I love that so much. Because it, it gives hope for the next generation. And that's what I love about reading the Old Testament. You see, it's like, man, this is terrible. You read a passage and it's like, ooh, this is bad. A family does this. A people does this. A tribe does this. Like, ooh, this is bad. But then you see provisions in the law where it opens the door to return to obedience. I love it. You don't always see people taking it, but that's their choice to make. When the choice is made, that's where you see the. Uh, that's where you see like prophets. That's like the makeup of Isaiah. That's like Amos. You know, Amos says, "I'm no prophet, nor the son of the prophet." The Lord says, "Amos, you're my prophet." Surprise! And so we see here in verse 17. But he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. See? Firstborn, all in accordance to the law. Even the promise too. Rights of the firstborn. In verse 18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother. Notice both. Mom and dad. And who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them. This is an obstinate kid. An obstinate kid. Have you ever seen an obstinate kid? You see an obstinate kid, you just want to throw him. But you can't because it's illegal. You see like a little, little like you're at a restaurant, you're eating dinner, and the little, the little uh, four-year-old comes to your table, and you just want to pick him up and throw him. But you can't because it's illegal. Obstinate kid. But look at what the law says. The obstinance. Eh, you know, certain things are permissible, not permissible, understandable, because maybe toddler. But if that's not corrected, it blossoms into filth. I shouldn't even say blossom. It, it just enters deeper depravity of filth. And so we see what the parents do. In verse 19, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city, to the gate of his city, and they shall say to the elders of his city, this son of ours is stubborn. Stubborn. Translate says backsliding. It's stubborn and backsliding in Hebrew. And rebellious, which is to be, it translates in the Hebrew as grievously disobedient. And the parents, mom and dad, mom and dad together. Not the mom. Not the mom is the only, not the dad is the only, mom and dad. And they shall say to the elders of the city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our, our voice. Not mom saying my voice, not dad saying my voice. Mom and dad, not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Very interesting. So obstinate child has grown up. Obstinate child has grown up and now he's an older kid. And he's a glutton and a drunkard. And here's the remedy in accordance to the law. Here's the remedy in accordance to the law. Observe Israel according to the flesh. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. There you go. There you go. Remember, in the law is death. Kids, to my beautiful younger brothers and sisters in Christ whom I love. Listen to your parents. See? 
provided there's a little disclaimer there, provided your parents are God-loving and God-fearing. You see? Because they're helping you in Christ. Now, parents whom I love, remember the millstone. Remember the teachings of the fulfillment of the law, also the fulfillment of the promise who teaches about the millstone. Remember, remember, remember. It's very, very important because a lot of parents, you know, instead of having jello hearts, they're like pine hearts, maybe even rock hearts. That's not good. For the formula to be right, husband, dad needs to have jello heart. Mom, wife needs to have jello heart. Kids need to have jello hearts. You see, everything must align in the home. Now, you're not always going to have that. But we repent, we're made right. Remember, you're not always going to be at 100%. You might be at 95%. You know, jello is 90%. Balsa, 80%. Maple, uh, 70. Oak, 60. Pine, 50. Maybe I, I don't know all the woods. I, I just got it down to 50. Maybe I should have used other woods. I don't, I don't know all the woods. But you get down to zero, that's not good. You get down in the teens and the, you know, the single digits, that's not good. That's like entering the re-crucification of Christ stage, what we studied in Hebrews 6, and that's not good. Where the Bible says it is impossible, impossible, you know, the Bible says all things are possible with Christ and through Christ, which is a biblical truth. But there are some passages, such as Hebrews 6, it is impossible. You see? Because a person has made his or her choice. We just study the word. We just study. I'm just the messenger. Kids. My beautiful young brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to your parents. If your both parents aren't, you know, obedient to the Lord, listen to the one who is. If you don't have that, if you're in a broken home and, you know, you're at the weekends with dad and the weekdays with mom, stay in the word. Your father in heaven, he sees. We obey him. The better covering. If you're in foster care and you don't have, you know, the mom and dad, your father in heaven sees. You see? And he loves you. He gives us the blueprints. He teaches us. I'm not advocating the law and say, I mean, you know, <laughs> it just so happens that, you know, stone the kids. You know, you have a disobedient kid, kill him. I'm not advocating the law. But understand that, you know, when you obey your parents, if you don't have the parent, obey your father in heaven. And it will be well for you. Whether you're in a home where mom and dad is, whether you're in a home or broken home where, you know, uh, mom's on one side of town and you're with dad on the weekend or you're with dad in the summers or you're in dad, maybe you're, you have a, a, a dad who's non-existent. Carnally speaking, in accordance to the Spirit, what we walk by, 
what we live by, what we see by, he's never non-existent. He's just the opposite. He's with you always, 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 always. He is with you. And you and me, we take comfort in that. And the Bible teaches us. And it just so happens we got done with these, these passages on our Sunday studies about the family. Exhortation for the wife, exhortation for the husband, exhortation for the kids, exhortation, you know, for, for dads, little triple whammy for, 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 for males. You know, for, for husbands, for dads, and then, you know, if you're a child, like a male child, you know, it's like a, the, the, the triple whammy. And everything points to Christ. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Where is found the only safety. Outside of that, you're not safe. Outside of him, nobody is safe. Which is why you hear us all the time say, jump ship, jump ship, jump ship, jump ship. You're Lutheran, jump ship. You're Episcopal, jump ship. You're Calvinist, jump ship. You're Reformed, jump ship. Hebrew roots, jump ship. It's not safe. No safety in that. There's only safety abiding in the real Christ. And so we see in verse 21, then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. That's what happens to a disobedient kid in accordance with the law. So you shall put away the evil from among you. You see? Now, kids, my beautiful young brothers and sisters in Christ, rejoice. <laughs> rejoice that we're not under the law. Rejoice that we're not under the law. But even still, for the older kids, you know, like 16, 17, 18, if you're like in a liberal home and you're like 25 living with mommy and daddy or like 30 living with mommy and daddy, don't be a lazy drunkard. You see, it's true that, you know, we don't stone you in accordance to the, to the law. But understand, you know, it's not pleasing to the Lord to be a lazy drunkard. Don't be that way. Balls in your court. Your move. And all Israel shall hear and fear. In closing, verse 22. If a man has committed sin deserving of death and is put to death and you hang him on a tree. Very interesting. Very interesting because Jesus Christ hung on a tree. But according to this law, according to this law, No, because verse 22 starts off, if a man has committed a sin deserving of death, that's not Jesus. He is innocent. He was not deserving of death in accordance to the law. And yet he hung on a tree. Which means, let's look at verse 23. His body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. 
Because verse 22, you know, the religious leaders in the days of Christ, our Lord, the religious leaders, we have no king but Caesar. Pontius Pilate, what shall I do? They shout out, crucify him. Them knowing that he was going to hang on a cross. They figure, okay, look, let's let the Romans do this. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll do this. They'll, 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 they'll fulfill this part of, you know, by our advocation, they'll fulfill this aspect of the law to hang him on a tree. But hold the phone. There was no sin. He is sinless. And since that's the case, verse 3 remains uneffectuated, which means that the land is defiled. You see? Verse 23 says, So that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. The land is defiled. The religious leaders say, blasphemy. The, the high priest rips open his garb. Blasphemy, blasphemy. Christ was never deserving of death. Those should have been the very people who bowed before him and worshipped him. They were the ones who were breaking the law. And they became accursed by their disobedience and blindness. Remember Jesus Christ? Remember our studies in Matthew 23? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, exclamation point. Woe to you. They were blind. Israel is in trouble. The church today is in trouble. Israel today is in trouble. The better covering is needed, desperately needed. And that is Jesus Christ. You and me, Jew, Gentile, together as one under the banner of Christ Jesus, Son of the Most High. We're going to end our study here, Lord willing, pick up in chapter 22 next week. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.